0: In the White House, President Eisenhower signs the proclamation that makes Alaska's entry into the Union official, nearly 92 years after Lincoln's Secretary of State bought the territory from the Russian Tsar for $7 million. Just want to give a shout out before the show starts to all the sponsors all the local businesses that have been coming through to help us out and get this thing started thank you to you guys
1: total truck accessory center go check them out at 7700 homer drive they're your one-stop shop for canopies spray-in bed liners led light bars and more total truck
0: the treehouse ak.com located at 341 boniface parkway they're your all-in-one cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bartender today what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off.
2: Lawn Pro AK, your year-round professional property maintenance. Cutting lawns, but not cutting quality. Hit them up at LawnProAK.com.
0: Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58th. Handcrafted, Alaskan-made cider. They also got a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E, Check them out, doubleshovelcider.com.
2: Anchor Town Dogs, located across from the 4th Avenue Theater in front of the historical building. Look for the blue and gold umbrella. Get yourself a legit reindeer dog.
0: Tailored Restoration, helping Alaskans restore their dreams. Voted number one in the state since 1972. Water restoration, fire restoration, remodeling, cleaning, anything that you have to do with your home, inside and outside, give those guys a call. Or check out tailoredrestoration.com.
1: Ooh, the triple threat this time, huh?
0: Mine didn't pop like I wanted it to.
1: No, I think you got the messed up tab. There was like one of those that had a kind of a loose. Yeah. Whatever that's called.
0: One of them's actually missing this little tab. I'm mm-hmm. just jabbed it with a knife.
1: This <laughs> can opener style? It's can of style.
0: Pop it with your thumb, just thumb it. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how many of these we get down. The triple shovel call.
1: Yeah, if you're wondering, uh, we we have a caribou call to start every show. I see so that's that. What, that's what you were hearing there. Yeah, feel
3: a little left out. <laughs>
4: yeah, we, well, we had to show you for. A, yeah, I saw everyone else <laughs> cracking beers. I'm Like, oh
1: man,
0: <laughs> yeah, he cracked beers so early. So well, you'll have to do a mid
1: uh, mid recording caribou call. Yeah, right. Those are definitely allowed. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll pick up on those. It, it well, welcome a, to, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it just gives us a heads up on if you've been listening to the show or not. <sighs> yeah. See, that's it's true. I've been now
1: telling you for months. I'm like, check us out, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, welcome to another, uh, Alaska wild project podcast episode, episode number 12. Um, hmm. A couple of things before we get started just a reminder on the patreon if you're not a patreon member you can go to our website alaskawildproject.com um five bucks ten bucks a month whatever you can do if you're a baller put a little bit more all that helps um get these live events going and better cameras and better recording equipment and videos and stuff like that um you can also support us by going to our website and buying some of our really cool hats water bottles that we just got in um if those you're looking, are sick dude the water bottles came out really nice mm-hmm. um Everyone needs a water bottle. Yep. Um, Heather's Choice, if you go to com, promo code Alaska Wild, you get 15% off there. Um, you can also find all that stuff on our website, the promo codes, you know, the water bottles, the Patreon link, all those things. And a reminder, Dudes Day is June 19th from 12 to 6 at Double Shovel. Um, we have a list of people that are coming. Um, we're adding more vendors all the time. It's going to be a really awesome event. We're going to be doing live podcasts from there. Um, come get your come get your double shovel ciders. Come get your last minute presents for your dad or your brother or your uncle or whatever the dude that you're buying for or for yourself. If you're a guy, um, you know most of us just buy what we want whenever we want it. So if you're looking for something cool, all the guys will be there from Barney's and uh, Mountain View Sports. Full curl, full curl. Oh, Mountain View come through. Barney's, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. We oh, got some right other on. people too. Um, cool. Still finalizing all the all the different people there, but they're gonna be bringing all their stuff out there to sell and. Chat it up with them if Mm -hmm. if you uh,
2: are looking to get some info in any of that gear and some of those cool items they got. Yeah, you can techie nerd it it out for sure. There'll be a lot of gear talk that day. Yeah.
1: Doing the podcast and having guests on and talking about it. be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, really Mm -hmm.
0: fun. Um, So before we get started with our our special guest tonight, I wanted Jack to bring up, you were telling us about your little scare there, um, your little black bear story. I kind of wanted you to share that. If you didn't mind, and yeah. you
1: and you mentioned so you and I had a conversation earlier in the day, and I was like, Hey, I need to get that GoPro. And you're like, All right, yeah, hit me with your address, I'll get over there and drop it off. I was like, All right, totally lost the day that day. I was prepping for my hunt and trip and doing my thing, and then it didn't get it was until like 11 o'clock at night. I was like, Oh, shit, I forgot about that. And then that was the last I heard from you, so yeah, obviously, yeah. had a little something,
2: yeah, I got kind of happened. a little bit. Um, <laughs>
1: needless to say
2: all that all the other dads know that i i like to bring the kids out and and uh, do a lot of hiking and skiing and stuff with them i think it's important um so after school instead of going and watching tv we're out we're out playing and i usually include at least one other dad or family that wants to join um so that day we picked Kincaid. It it was a nice sunny day and Kincaid's awesome and this time of year is pretty cool to hike there um, with the little kids because the mountain bike, bike single track isn't open yet. So you can mm. cruise on that trail on that trail system without it's officially like, like closed. Yeah. They cl- single track enthusiasts, you know, give them a shout to those guys. They're awesome. Setting up all these trails around Anchorage. Um, but mm. anyway, they mm-hmm. make sure that, that they go and close these trails off and make sure people don't use them so they don't tear up the tr- while they're soft. You, you, oh. your treads go through there and you just rip these trails so they
0: just put like a sign at the at the main entryway there's a
2: sign and they'll put like ribbons like do not enter or rope oh. across it and stuff yeah and most people know but you can um, walk it yeah yeah you can yeah. walk it yeah so um, and you know they, the, those trails out there they, they intersect all these other walking trails and then the ski trails and you know so there's just a lot of cool opportunity to get yeah. away from people out there so we uh, yeah so we chose that one we wanted to do a five mile loop I think we had uh three four-year-olds and a six-year-old with us and uh so yeah we're cruising up kind of um at this time we're we're about halfway through our hike we're about two and a half miles in and it, it was getting time to probably feed the little kids and we're we, we'd be if you triangulated a position between like the middle earth trail and um beer Can Lake and the mm-hmm. bow range. So it's kind of tucked in a corner that mm-hmm. not a lot of people really use, um, except for the mountain bikers. Um, it's just kind of an offset place. We don't see people over there. So we're over there and we're, we come up on this cow moose, just chilling in the chair in the trail. And she's definitely pregnant, you know, when we give her some space and, uh, but we're probably about 50 yards from her and she, she didn't really care we were there. Um, my dog was not barking at her or anything. And so I was like, all right, well, let's just have a picnic here. So we ate some food and watched her. And she's just, you know, regular wildlife. She didn't seem distracted or upset and nervous or anything. Anyway, so uh, I don't know, about 20 minutes into it, uh, she kind of stood. S- something something bothered her. So she stood up quick and kind of looked one direction, kind of quartering away from us, um, like a kind of like a... Mm-hmm two o'clock kind of position and uh, so at that moment through my hair my mind i was like oh she might have winded a blackberry or something you know and uh but then right away her we think her water broke because it wasn't mm-hmm. like a normal pee it was like much more upright mm-hmm. and then the way that ass was it was, it just looked like there was a lot she was like she back in that there rear you know it was mm-hmm. different and then this big <laughs> splash Oh, wow. Definitely different than, like, a normal pee would see. say, can say they've like.
1: ever seen that?
2: And so... but <laughs> In all of- the
1: moose we've ever seen in Alaska is living here. Have you ever seen a little, its water break? No. That's phenomenal.
2: That's- I haven't caught that one. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is not verified, but yeah, no. I mean, I'm just gonna assume yeah. that happened because it's a really yeah. cool story. It it certainly seemed like it to me, and uh, yeah, I need to go like meet with a vet or something, <laughs> or I mean, that's probably on YouTube. I'll YouTube it. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so r- right after that though, it was and she was kind of a younger cow, but she was obviously pregnant. Um, but she had that like lighter fur, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. And anyway, she uh, she bolts like she's like that bothered her because it was like right when she was done doing that, she just bolts backwards, um, so kind of quartering towards us at this like maybe like seven o'clock, and she got within about like ten yards of us, and so uh, and then she she just seemed like something was bothering her, and we figured it, you know, she's about to have a, a little calf baby or three, and. We should get out of there. Yeah. So the best way to go is follow the trail to where she was. We walk right by this pile of you know this pond because it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was kind of looking at it, but the the kids were getting a little ahead of me. So I did I, you dip I, a I finger? Didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't do the lipness test. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: I wonder if there's like a, like a cultural thing with that. Anyway, so we we continued uh, up the trail, and uh, you know I I walked a little bit faster to catch the kids. And uh, we we're probably about 15 yards past that. And one, one, one of the younger kids um, was kind of like, oh, there's a bear. There's a bear. But they were just joking around. And then we were like, hey, you know, the boy who called wolf thing. Don't do that. And then I looked to my right and there is a black bear um, about 15 yards away. Um, Way and, close. Yeah. Way and close. My boy and then Brandon, <clears throat> um, Carl's boy, were between us and the bear. So right away it was like, pa- Pax, Henry bear behind us and so they got behind us and the the bear was just looking at us at that time um but as the boys moved behind us um the bear started coming straight towards us Mm. um so both brandon and i got big um yeah a little back at it and stuff a little backstory here too um i'm very cautious with bears um like I would be the most bear scared person in a group usually and in bear scared means to me, like I'm bringing bear spray or have a gun and then I'm more comfortable um, and just like really cautious. So even in these Kincaid hikes, I always have bear spray on my bike. I have the bear spray water bottle mount on all my bikes. Um, my rafts, every one of the seats has a, and my drift boat have a little baggie with bear spray in them. So, I always have bear spray. Well, when I was about a uh, hundred yards from my house, pulling away, I realized I didn't have bear spray, mm. and I didn't turn around to get it. Ah, but, oh, the yeah. one time! And I realized it, and I was like, "Oh, Brandon yeah, good. We're good. We're in Kincaid. This will be fine." Yeah. And uh, also, uh, just uh, you know, full transparency, I'm one of the people, along with uh, my little brother, that has kind of always wanted to bear spray a bear Mm because I want to see if it works. I don't want to hurt an animal. I do not want to do that. But if there's a person in the group that's going to have to do it, I want to be that person um so just to see the result just, I to, want, I just to, to know for science does yeah. this shit really work <laughs> like should i be carrying this extra weight
1: around if it doesn't work
2: right or do i need to carry a 44 when i have four-year-olds you know like yeah you know, this, this this isn't like a hurting animal thing it's right. like i want to know if this is the right protection you read about it it's supposed to be the best deterrent and of course you don't want to hurt an animal uh but yeah, i mean if it's coming out yeah you you kind mm-hmm. of want to get away yep. so uh back to the story so neither brandon and i have that i I always wear a belt, didn't wear a belt that day. I usually have a knife, did not have a knife that day. Um, So just totally unprepared. And uh, Brandon was in this, luckily we were we're such old friends. Uh, We grew up together and I was the best man at his wedding. There's a lot of good nonverbal communication here. We've Mm. spent a lot of time in the outdoors. So right right away, I was the closest dad. So the kids all four got behind me and they listened well. We got real big. The bear stopped at maybe like ten yards, and then we close. looked at we looked at each other, and it was like obvious. Hey, I'm gonna back up. You stay put. So I started backing up, and then the bear would come closer to Brandon. So then I would go forward. We're screaming. We have our backpacks above our heads, um, and it kind of stops a little bit enough that Brandon can get a little bit more space with me holding still. And then we just I just keep moving backwards every time it stops. Then every time it came forward. Um, you know, I would try to move forward and Brandon would just be screaming, but he was holding his ground like he was a very brave, dude,
0: because yeah. there's
2: a point there where if the bear comes, we had to make a decision, you know, who's leaving with the kids. Yeah. And it was yeah. obvious, like how we had made that decision at the beginning that that was going to be me and I was going to have to leave my friend, you know um
3: was he aware of that yeah. decision that was non-verbally made
2: he was absolutely aware of it yeah. well he yeah. was
1: on the front line he was yeah. just handling business and yeah. trying to get that bear out of there yeah. right
2: he was very aggressive he he moved towards the bear when the bear was close wow know, within you know 30 feet yeah, yeah for sure um so that kind of game went on for about 10 minutes but we were able to get brandon more space and he was able to get me a lot more space to the point where um whenever the bear would come towards us it, it came it it came towards us aggressive but not charging um and it was definitely interested in us it came a deviated off its path towards us mm-hmm. um cuz cuz the bear trail it was on was like 90 degrees to the trail um yeah so as we got Brandon further away every time it would come then i had enough room to like really push forward mm-hmm. um and then eventually there was a uh, there was a hill and we were able to get under it and then move fast.
0: Got it. So Out of um, the sight.
2: Yeah. So as soon as I got a, got under the hill, Brandon was like, I'm good. So then I got the kids down the hill and then Brandon was able to get out of sight and then come down quick. And then we went up, across the road and then kind of came back on the other side. So um, did it follow you guys up the hill? No, no, no. We got yeah. around that, that and never saw it again. So uh, that was a, a good deal. Scary, yeah. Rattled you,
0: rattled you guys pretty good. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's
1: what I mean. Do
0: you you think it was uh, maybe sniffing that Mm -hmm. that water? I think so. It
2: it definitely was coming up after the cow. I think, Mm. but I mean, maybe it thought like it was about to have its baby. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm patiently waiting for it. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know the like the actual science behind it, but I've always, I know that there's like a time of year where black bears especially. Will follow a cow around for days on end mm-hmm. because they can smell whatever's permeating off that cow, yeah. whatever fluids are leaking or right. whatever's going on. They they know if they just linger around this thing long enough, they're going to get they're, they're going to get a meal out of it. And yeah. and that'd be my guess is that it was, you yeah. know, just waiting for that calf to fall out of yeah. there. Or There's got to be
0: a really. I, and I've read it before. I don't remember the percentage, but it's really high percentage of the predation that happens right when they're born. Yeah, like God, wolves and bears and yeah. are just following after these things, coyotes and stuff like that. And as soon as you know they they pop out of their mom, they're all wobbly legged, and the moms oh, yeah. kind of suffering. They're helpless. Yeah, and that's just the time that you know these predators just get after. I want to mm-hmm. say it's crazy, like seventy percent. I wonder if you could look it up actually yeah, and see could. what what the predation yeah. percentage rate is on that. Um, I'd be interested to know, but I know it's really, 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 really high. And that's how, like, some of these wolves just fall around, like yep. the 40-mile caribou herd and all that stuff, especially around, you know, birthing season. Right. Yeah.
2: I, the other really interesting piece was how um, there's two things. So, one, I have this Labrador who is a, just an awesome dog. Brooks What's Ranger? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If she follows me around everywhere. I, I mean, she she doesn't have to be on the leash, you know, but I follow the rules when I need to. Um but um, we've talked about this. The I've had her on CBD oil after mm-hmm. these big hikes and stuff because she was, and the next morning she would be so sore. And I was seeing such a good effect from that, or yep. a good result that um, I kept her on it. And she, there's like three or four things that happened in the last two weeks where she just kind of like loses track of where she's at, and I have to go find her. Things that have never happened, and mm-hmm. this Barron's in it she was totally aloof like normally brooks would be right next to me barking like mm. looking at me on how she should behave and that's what i wanted out of her yeah and i was like brooks you know bark yeah and she just didn't care and she was kind of walking in circles around me so the, she the CBD oil definitely put her in this mindset that I did not like her in outside. Yeah. Um, so I, well, one thing I'm going to do is kind of try to do some more research on the CBD oil for dogs because this is a specific dog one, and mm-hmm. I believe in the results. But is there a way we can get those results without like uh, this deviated mental function, mm-hmm. um, almost I, too water, mellowed out? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and just not aware you know it's like hey there's a bear right here brooks like and she just didn't care like oh yeah whatever yeah Yeah, you would have thought she'd
1: be haunched up and snarling and all up in its face or even put herself at risk
2: she usually usually barks at bears you know i have to tell her to stop she did not bark but that would have been very helpful yeah Yeah. for Uh, sure the other thing that was a, a really big deal um was it showed me how important it is to have these like bear conversations with the kids Mm -hmm. because the kids already knew what to do. We had, we had talked about this so many times that they just got in line. And when, and when one of the other kids would kind of walk out to the side to get a look, the other kids would pull them back directly behind me and so that was cool i mean they could see still but they weren't you know walking to six or seven feet away they, the yeah. other kids would pull them closer and i thought that was really cool that they kind of took care of themselves and so when we got through this incident you know brandon and i sat down with the kids right near the road and we're like hey how was that how'd it go you know is everyone feeling good what do you think about this bear thing and just act talking to them normal mm-hmm. and had real conversations and none of them uh they kind they were kind of aware of How big of a deal it was, um, but not not to the degree like Brandon and I knew that it could where it could have gone. Yeah, they just they. I think that Brandon and I handled in a way that they were confident that we Mm -hmm. we were. Well,
0: probably you guys' calm demeanor and you know Mm -hmm.
2: that goes a long way.
0: That's that's very important in any situation like that. Calm, calm, cool, and collected. Just be calm. Just be calm. You know, and assertive. Yeah, you know, it's
1: easy to panic and like just lose all sense of. Yeah what You're supposed to do in that moment, yeah. Um, I do think though, when you got your kids, though, your parental instincts just oh man, click was, in, and 100 you'll put yourself in front of a you know, a train, to yeah. protect them, you know, yeah. or a bear.
0: Well, I'm I, I 100% believe that, um, Brandon would have just stayed right there and took on that freaking bear while you Dealt got with his it. kids and your kids away. I mean, any dad would do that, mm-hmm. yep. be, yeah, need be, you yeah. know,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I found a little. Uh, there's a lot of information to kind of sift through, but um, <clears throat> I found a number uh, that was recorded in eastern interior Alaska with grizzlies and moose, and it's about 45%.
0: So almost 50%. 50%. Yeah.
1: So if if, if, if she has two, one of them is most likely going to die mm, yeah. from predator. Or, or, you know, I mean, I think it's just a hard life for a moose calf to survive, yeah. period. Especially when mama's malnourished, tired, whooped. Yeah, you know, and then on top of it, she's got to figure out a way to protect her babies. But yeah, they're just the easiest, um, target and yeah. black bears are the worst. Cause I think they're smaller and nimble. They can kind of do- dodge and weave and hide and they're shorter and they can kind of stay out of the, the view of a moose versus yeah. say like a big grizzly or a brown bear or something like
0: that. And the thing with those black bears that are in town, they don't get a lot of, um, Other encounters with other like brown bears that will kind of like punk them or kind of put a little bit of fear in them. And all they see is these people that are running around. Mm -hmm. Most people are just like avoiding them. Yeah. You know, so Mm -hmm. they're curious as well. Yeah. So they haven't developed any sort of fear or, Mm -hmm. you know, which is scary.
1: Well, I showed you guys that that video and photo on my trip back, and black bears are off the side of the road. I jumped out of my truck 10 feet away. I'm video in pictures, turn the a selfie thing was just like no big deal just chomping on the greens not even caring that i was there it's like wow what the hell and then you go and make a stock on one for five hours and it catches one little whiff Whiff of you and it's gone gone it's like yeah
0: that's crazy uh well i want to introduce our guest uh today um a special guest that uh brandon wanted to really get on um his name is dana wright he is the great-grand nephew of walter harper Walter Harper is the very first Alaskan native and first person in general in the whole entire world to ever summit Denali. In 1913. In 1913. Yep. And uh, Walter Harper um, is your great-great-uncle?
3: Great-grand-uncle.
0: Great-grand-uncle. And the reason we brought Dana in today is Dana participated in the centennial... um, Climb of Denali, so he wanted to follow in the footsteps of his great great
1: grand uncle. Grand 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 uncle. uncle. My goodness, that's a tough <laughs> that's one. <hard laughs> one right? Well, Dana is a bloodline descendant of the first Climb, Got it. and that's where that connection you know, great grand grand, you're yeah, you're in the yeah, you're in the mix.
0: Athabaskan,
3: yes, sir.
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: it says here 21 year old Athabaskan, who was the first, so he did it when he was 21. Yeah. He was in just a young gun. Wow. In 1913. Holy cow. Anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you for coming yeah. on. Yeah,
4: it's great yeah. to be here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dana's also a badass Alaskan, hikes, uh, mountaineering, obviously, Denali. Tons of mountaineering. Um, yeah. He races, um, you know, Mount Marathon style stuff. He's got the Mayor's.
3: I got the Mayor's Marathon coming up in a little. I mean, this guy
1: takes a lunch break. In the middle of a very rigorous, busy job, to go run five miles and come back to work. Wow. I mean, it's no joke. He, he takes a lunch break and does a five-mile run.
0: He's the guy when you're on the Kasugi with your wife that's running by with no backpack, no nothing, yeah, just no yeah. shirt off. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, just cruising. <laughs> just getting just
1: get a run in today. I, I'm
3: not so but, different from a Husky. I, I love winter. I love to run. I'm kind of furry. And been,
4: you know? <laughs> Hell,
1: yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Dana, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was telling these guys and you before the show that – I felt like your story and, um, you know, your presence as an Alaskan was everything that our podcast is, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Um, as far as, obviously, every badass Alaskan we'd love to have on here, but um, not a lot of people, I found one of the most fascinating things when we got to know each other working together, you're like, I summoned a Denali, and I was like, what? I (laughs) got, people...
3: People do that? People do that? Like, I mean, (laughs) I know they do,
1: but I never thought I'd meet somebody that did it because I just assumed it was like one of the craziest climbs Mm. in the world. And I mean, I know it is, but.
3: It's funny you say that because I haven't talked about it a lot in recent years because after telling people I was so proud about it, everyone's like, oh yeah, my uncle did that or my brother did that or my dad did that. I I did that last year. Oh, really? I was like, I I guess I'm not not that cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was pretty cool over here. (laughs) In the wrong circle there.
1: Yeah, well, I I just found it fascinating. I'd never met anybody that did it, and I was like, "Damn, this dude's for real." I mean, if he mm-hmm. did, it, and you were pretty young, right? I was twenty
3: seven okay. at the time. I would mm-hmm. love to have loved to been twenty one at the time. Now that I know what I know, I don't know that I had would have had the mental toughness mm. at twenty one to, to train properly for it. The one thing that I, I do have a distinction on on a lot of people that have some of the Denali is I did the north face of it so i went up the Muldrow glacier route which is very rarely done um the year i did it two denali park rangers went shortly before us and then there was one other climbing group besides us so like 20 people for the whole season and there was some like oh i think 1200 people for the whole season so everyone's on the west buttress Mm -hmm. and then there's just like a couple psychopaths on the North yeah. side of things just suffering the whole whole way up. Yeah. Nice. You
2: should tell us the difference between the routes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. get
0: to that. Before we get into that, though, I want to go back on and start off with your great, great, great grand uncle. Great, great, great grand. Oh, man. This it's is no, grand, grand, uh, Who dude. talks about yeah. their great know, the grand great grand uncle? uncle. <laughs> and as we're going to, as he brings up the great grand uncle and the history of that, mm-hmm. maybe pull up the routes. Okay. Um, Online okay. so that we can take a look at that. So give us a little history on. um family member yeah. that uh <laughs> and and that whole little story that you were kind of get into and, and how he got dragged into going up there and what really inspired them to be the first people ever to summit denali
3: so walter harper was the first person ever um to successfully summit denali um the the highest peak in all of north america um and he was part of a climbing team. He was not um, the guide by any means. Um, he was just one of the people that was along on the route to to help. As you can imagine, mountaineering in the early 1900s, a uh, completely different sport than yeah. it is today. I mean, they weren't even entirely sure that the route that they were taking was the right way to go. But the the this particular summit attempt was, um, it was organized by Hudson Stuck, um, and he was a religious figure in Fairbanks at the time. Um, he had some funding. He had the ability ability to uh, pull together supplies, pull together some money for it. Um, so he really started the whole thing. He was really fascinated with Denali from the moment he got to Alaska. I mean, clearly back then, it's just this massive mountain that just seemed you know, impossible mm-hmm. at the time. And people were attempting it. People were trying different routes, but no one was really coming back successful. There was some uh, debunked, um, initial summit claims that, um, were, were proven false later down, down the way. So, um, it was kind of a hot thing to do at, at that time. You know, there was a lot of exploration or very few places that weren't explored by that point. Um, so he enlisted a couple other people, um, for the trip. Harry Carstens was really kind of, uh, maybe the main, main guide through all of this. He, he was the one that had a lot of the, the survival, the mountaineering, the wilderness, um, expertise. Uh, my great granduncle Walter Harper was pretty young and had been working with, with Hudson stuck for quite a while. Um, helping him, you know, work the dog team, work the boat in the summertime, helping fish or do whatever chores were needed. Um, so he was really just kind of hired help, um, to, to some extent. I mean, he was a confidant of Hudson stuck. He was, you know, um, and then there was also Robert Tatum, who was one of the other, was the fourth person on the climb. They also went out with um, two other um, young Alaska Native boys who went with them from Fairbanks by dog team to get to McGonagall Pass. And, and those two boys helped um, set, up, set up a camp. They helped hunt and fish and, and get supplies for the climb. So they, they had to leave in February from Fairbanks by dog team in order to make this thing happen. Right. So they're out for like months, maybe not coming back. Um, all for glory. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: There's, there's like no sponsor paying for this. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, so that they all get down there and they're, they, they hunt and they get their supplies. They're, they're out there for fur for meat. Um, for any provisions they can make while they're out there, because you can't pack that stuff with you. And of course, they're just living off the land pretty regularly at that time. They didn't have Heather's Choice? They did not have Heather's <laughs> Choice.
0: Okay. Just checking. Yeah, there's no there's, packaroons. There's <laughs> just no wrong. No packaroons, <laughs> not a single packaroon. <laughs> 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 may not have even been invented at that time. Pretty uh, sure it wasn't.
2: <laughs> a lot of the behind yeah. that and the eyeball fat, probably. From <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. Oh, yeah. Caribbean. Yeah, yeah Caribbean. I know, yeah. for sure.
3: They made a bunch of, of you know, meat meatballs that they are able to freeze and then you can you know thaw out one at a day and and, Mm -hmm. it's so nutrient dense with that stuff yeah Yeah. um so anyway long story short with that climb they made it but it took them forever i mean they're planning they're planning on being on the climb actually on the mountain only for a couple of weeks i think they were on there for six um i'm not a historian so don't quote me on that but
0: six um, weeks yeah
3: on on the from the glacier up yeah. So, um,
0: but it probably took them for a long time to even just get to where they started to climb. Right. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What so, is that? Like maybe horse and carriage or, or sled dog, right? sled, dogs sled dog all dog the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh that, yeah. That's
3: how they got around pretty much everywhere yeah. out there. You either went by boat or by sled dog. Uh, yeah. So, uh, 1913 when they summited, it actually was the first year that there was a, um, flight in Alaska. It was one of the first airplanes that ever hit to Alaska, but, um, long before that was really available to them. So, um, they made it, and not not without a, a ton of issues. Um, but ultimately, on summit day, Walter Harper was the only person that wasn't really really struggling with altitude sickness. And when you're when you're up that twenty thousand feet, um, mm. everything in your body is trying to shut down. I mean, just just existing feels like feels like a pretty bad hangover. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that particular day, he just happened to be the only one that wasn't really struggling. Um, And that particular day when they made their summit push, he was in the front of the pack the whole way breaking trail and broke trail, broke trail until uh, no more trail to break. And he was he was up at the top. So um, that's that's my family's claim to fame. Um, The the, there's the Harper Glacier, which is up at the very top of, of Denali, which goes into the Harper Icefall, which is just magnificent if you look at photos of the harper Icefall fall on denali it's it is just the most ridiculous uh glacier that drops several thousand feet into the muldrow glacier so it's just a glacier that's like it, it goes into another glacier yeah basically the slowest frozen waterfall you ever seen and it's just slowly makes its way down and oh
0: he's like, pulling it up right there
3: yeah so it is a it, it's pretty incredible um also they named uh the ranger station in Talkeetna, the Walter Harper Ranger Station. So oh, okay. Um, nice. Yeah, so my family's got a little local celebrity. So
1: that doesn't do it justice, there, does it? Uh,
3: so you get that, free
0: that, drinks at the bar there,
1: man. Uh,
3: so when you're in Talkeetna and you say, "I summoned Denali," they're like, "Everyone in this town <laughs> summoned Denali." It doesn't get you far there. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I haven't spoke about it a whole lot because I, I kept on getting excited about it. Everyone's like, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah cool. great, great story, <laughs> So um, fast forward many, many years, um, I got the opportunity to climb, uh, which was at a really weird time in my life. And I'd like to switch gears and talk about how I got into mountaineering for a quick minute. Please don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead, let's let's so, get on
0: the history there.
1: Yeah, back
3: uh, up. Second grade, I get a skateboard from like the... Local Goodwill, and my best friend. Oh, you didn't get Gary
4: King's? No. Yeah, me either.
3: It, it, so th- th- this is in Fairbanks at the time. I grew up in oh. Fairbanks. And real
1: uh, quick, here's a photo of that ice falls It's pretty sick.
3: Yeah, and oh, so that's there. from miles oh, away. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: massive, and right.
3: so
0: I so the one below that you can't really see is
3: is the Muldrow Glacier. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I get a skateboard in second grade. I get pretty good, and then fourth grade rolls around, and the shop in who's in Fairbanks called Banana Board they sell snowboards mm. and at the time i mean they're pretty novel uh, i was like oh i've already been skiing so i picked up snowboarding um i dropped skateboarding a long time ago because uh, concrete just hurts now <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh I'm so, very forgiving so snowboarding when i was younger i was just I was going crazy doing doing the rails doing the jumps and all that and i kept on going to alieska once I moved to Anchorage and, and kept on getting in trouble for trying to build jumps like off in, yeah. in the woods and we just keep on getting kicked out. And one time my friend's like, We could go to Turnigan. And I didn't know what Turnigan was at the time. And but we already had to truck full gas, so we just drove to Turnigan Pass. Um I really have no idea where we went that particular time. And we just made the most ridiculous jump and sessioned it for I don't know, two, three hours and it was just like two feet of snow that day and it was just incredible so uh long story short we just ditched alieska and paying for passes because we were already broke and just started <laughs> going out to turn again and hatch your pass and, and building jumps and eventually it's like you know what i really just like being out here and eventually i started going like well why don't we go to the top of the mountain and get a sweet run yeah
0: go from two minute ride to five <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> So, so backcountry six mi- six, right? six hours of climbing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying it makes sense, but I love it. So uh,
1: most Alaskan adventures are that way, right?
3: So I've been been backcountry <laughs> snowboarding for uh, fifteen years now, but um, at the time, so you know, about 2012, um, I had just been dumped by my girlfriend.
4: Oh,
1: <sighs> uh,
3: heartbreaking! Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, devastation.
3: Um, so I was drinking a lot but it was also a particularly good snowboarding season so i've been doing a bunch of backcountry i was out in the mountains every weekend
1: every chance you or could. twice a weekend
3: um and i got home from snowboarding one day and my my mom calls and she says you know i got i got contact about something i'd like to talk to you about this a little bit and i said okay and so she comes over and shows me a couple emails from um some people that were trying to organize a centennial climb of of denali and like i had it, it had been a part of my life my whole life that walter harper was this person and you were related to him and he climbed an alley once but my, my family doesn't do any bragging they're not going to talk about it a whole lot so i didn't know a lot about it but she's like do you want to do you want to climb denali i'm like do it
0: can I bring my snowboard? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, you know, I had just been dumped at nothing. I was going, on. I'm like, well, that's fine. Let's let's go climb a mountain. And she's like, it's real. It it could be happening. It's it's Denali. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I'm I'm doing like, one thousand or two thousand foot elevation game climbs. <laughs> nothing like this. <laughs> I went home every day to my own bed, so I really didn't know what I, what I was getting into. But I knew that I loved being out in the mountains. I knew that I thrived out there in the in the winter, mm-hmm. and in the summer I started hiking in the summer. Um, so when it happened, it's just like, oh, okay, we can we can give it a go. And uh, I was just over a year beforehand, and then a month or two later, I'm meeting up with all these climbers. So basically, what happened was um, descendants of the original climbing team were trying to get together to do a hundred year anniversary climb, same route not starting from Fairbanks in February (laughs) by dog sled (laughs) because we have real lives, Um, but doing the Muldrow Glacier route, which is the original route that you had to go until they got planes that could drop you off.
0: How do you spell that? Muldrow.
3: M U L D R O W.
0: Muldrow. Okay.
3: Muldrow Glacier. Muldrow. So, um, and so shortly after that, I'm, you know, I say yes. We're kind of making things happen. People are flying up to Alaska, and I have to take an advanced mountaineering course on like no time flat. I did a 12, oh, damn, 12 day class. Yeah, where do you it's take that? Like forty that class? years. So it's uh, I did mine through Alaska Mountaineering School in Talkeetna. Okay. And it's a it was a twelve day class, and they flew us out, um, flew us out into what's called Little Switzerland, which is an area out in the Alaska Range, and they just drop you off on a glacier by plane and then take off and you're out there with some guides. So, um, did a 12 day course like that to really get the feel for glacier travel for just surviving out there, how to melt your water every day, how to be efficient with your movement, how to pack up camp, how to walk for extended periods of time because you have nothing else to do (laughs) out there. Um, so that was really cool. And then for that whole following year, I, just lived at the gym and that particular year was the 2013 or 2012, 2013 winter season where we just got massive amounts of snow in South Central. Mm-hmm. That and was it,
1: like a record year. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So like the snow was just, it just kept on falling, but perfectly bonding to each other. So there's like very little avalanche risk. And so I was just, I mean, I, I really dedicated pretty much my, my life to it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty. 13 came around and we actually went out and did the dang thing and came back successful. So, um, obviously we can get into that here in a little bit, but that was just kind of how, how all this happened. I mean, I, it fell in my lap. It's not like I was, I didn't have my sights on it at all. Mm -hmm. It was never something that I was aspiring to do. I like being out in the mountains, but I also like cheeseburgers and going (laughs) to bed in my own bed (laughs) at night, you know? Uh, (laughs) So, um, if so it, if it wasn't for this opportunity, I can't say that I ever would have done it mm. um, but it was definitely it was the most formative thing that in my life. I mean obviously that's yeah. kind of a, a big deal so yeah. very
0: yeah. so from the original group, how many descendants went on that climb?
3: Uh, we had a representative from every family oh, really God. really
0: so five yeah so, four, five?
3: Uh, yeah. so um, Carstens sorry yeah five five of the six that originally okay. went. Um, and so not all of them made it to the summit, but we all started together, yeah. Um, so that was really cool. Just the fact that you know, it's 100 years later, these we've never met any of these guys, is that none of them have ever been part of our day to it, day? It wasn't un- Uncle Walt, you know, yeah, like this yeah. dude was was dead long before I, yeah. Yeah. I ever came, he died at like 27. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so he, he. Him and his wife were on their honeymoon and they were heading down to Seattle on a ship called the Princess Sophia. And it was the biggest maritime disaster in all of Alaska history. Oh, oh it wow. ran got ran up on a reef and then sunk. Oh, oh so, man. so so long story short, I, I was his age when he died and he had already like summoned Denali and done all these things. <laughs> yeah. So wow. and you know, a hundred years ago, so I, I maybe <clears throat> feeling a little inadequate Did that. <laughs> compared to him.
2: Did that give you the chills at all? That you're the same age as when he died when you were climbing McKinley? Yeah, because I'm on I'm out. on the dang mountain,
3: and I'm like, you know what? He died, and I'm trying to follow in his footsteps. Maybe that's not. Maybe I shouldn't be on boats. I think is what I ultimately. <laughs> yeah, ride. stay yeah. on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so it was it was Dana Wright, Diana Campbell, Ken Carstens, Ray Schunemann, yep, and Daniel Hopkins, the five reps.
3: Yep. So uh, Dan was a descendant of Hudson Stuck.
1: Okay. Um, Sweet.
3: Super cool super cool guy. Um he was just an absolute beast on the climb. Just a great Was he lead dog? No. We had guides.
1: Oh, okay. yeah yeah. Because they're sp- not
3: gonna let a whole bunch of like rookies just yeah. go try yeah. the, <laughs> try the hard side of the mountain just to see what happens. <laughs> um, Good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I mean he, he had summited Denali before. Um so he had experience, he already knew what was going on. Oh perfect. Um and he he just had a had set up there. And there were some other members that weren't at the press release that was going on here. It was mm-hmm. a it was a group of ten. So it was a pretty good size well, it started out as a group of 10. So it was a pretty good size um, good size group. We had four guides because we were actually supposed to have more people. We were trying to get like a film crew. It was supposed to be like a documentary and all that. Yeah. And, um, the logistics of being on that side of the mountain were ridiculous um, yeah. and carrying, you can't you can't fly on that side of the mountain. The only way you're getting rescued is life or limb. There's no oh, wow. snow machines, there's no four wheelers allowed over there, it's nothing. So, mm. um, so the idea of getting all that camera equipment out there without yep. somehow damaging it is, is impossible. Yeah, um, couldn't make it happen. But the nice part about that is having four guides means that there's four people that are very experienced on the mountain, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately really helped a lot. And that year was actually a, a record breaking summit percentage year, it was just beautiful weather the whole time. Nice, yep. so that's complete lie. Uh, (laughs) there was some nasty weather days, but um, as far as generally goes, it was good. It was amazing the whole time. So,
2: so, so had any of the guides taken that route before
3: one. Okay. One had, um, Mm. his name was Hunter and he was the lead guide. Um, so I mean there was a little bit of experience and there was one other group. It was a Knowles group, Knowles National Outdoor Learning Society. So it's like a class that you take and you summit Denali through this thing, which oh. is a pretty gnarly class. Um, yeah. So there was another yeah, group of 10 I'd people say. and they had some, some backup too. So there were some resources on that, on that route during that time, but we were the only people out there.
0: Yeah. Wow. Is there any, um, like a book or anything about Walter, or some sort of documentary or articles yeah. that we could look up or find?
3: Um, there are a ton. Um,
1: Well, there's the Scent of Denali you mentioned earlier, right? Yep.
3: Um, There's a book by Mary Erlander, and I believe it's called um, Alaska Native Son. I could be wrong on that. Um, That one was more about Walter Harper specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Walter Harper didn't really get a lot of hype or didn't really get a lot of um, notoriety around the climb, really until we kind of did our climb and just kind of brought the story to light a little bit more. Ultimately, he wasn't the organizer. He wasn't the lead guide. Um, He just happened to be, he was kind of the stud of the trip. He was the one that just kept it together the whole time and was working hard the whole time and wasn't being a pain in the butt or anything like that. He just pulled more than his own weight the whole way. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think he was an unsung hero and ultimately he got firsties on that summit. So Perfect.
1: Yeah, he earned it.
0: Yeah. So, out of the five that went, you said not everyone summited. Without naming names, how many summited?
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Sam Tatum, who was the descendant of Robert Tatum, um, he got roped in very much last minute. I think he's from Georgia. Um, And you don't just kind of like, well, I mean, maybe some people do, but you don't really just. On a couple months' notice, be like, you want to go climb Denali?
4: Yeah.
3: You ever been (laughs) on a mountain before? You seen snow? Yeah. Um, Ultimately, what ended up happening is he got new boots, and he took those new boots straight out.
1: Oh man! Oh, with no break-in? No break-in. Oh shit!
3: Man, Um, I've been there. We know how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: have some foot.
3: You really know how it goes when you gotta cross two rivers and some thirty miles of tundra and rock um before you ever get to snow um so he had to he had to cut out i think seven days in Mm. i mean his feet he looked like a leper i mean his feet were chewed up ouch and i think that he was just trying to hold on i think he was just trying to just tough it out you can't tough that out yeah mm -hmm. i mean i mean some people might be able to but at the rate that his feet were getting chewed up um he had to turn around so we lost the guide during that time to get him oh. all the way
2: back. Oh, because they had to turn around and walk and bring him back. Yeah, yeah. And then
3: mm. um, Raymond Schuneman, who was a he was a cousin of Ken Carson's, um, he got altitude sickness on at high camp. Mm. Um, Which is what elevation? Seventeen thousand feet. Mm. Oh, okay. So he wanted to go, but was basically told. The night before, you're out. If we don't make it, and you're better, and we have an opportunity to do another summit attempt, we'll maybe talk about it then. But you're not going tomorrow.
1: And that was the guide's call. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um. So that that was really really tough because he he trained he trained hard for it and he really had a lot of mm. um. He had his heart.
2: He wanted it. it. Yeah. Um. How was his response to the guide?
3: Uh, That's a good question. He he's a very um, very confident dude. Very gregarious. He's an entrepreneur and is very successful. Down he lives in Texas, um, and he was very respectful of it. He was cordial about it. Um, he seemed pretty crushed. Yeah. My mm-hmm. bad. He seemed pretty crushed. I mean, to make it that far and to go through all oh, the training man. and spend that whole time, and then the one day when everyone goes for the glory day you got to sit it out and, but then you still got to walk all the way back out with everyone. That's just
1: done it. Yeah. So yeah. you just got to sit there and wait for everybody else to go up and yeah. have the exciting moment
3: and hope they come back. You know, like, if something no, bad happened, he's true on that side of the mountain with one other person. That's a bad day.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Did they leave a guide back with him?
3: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wasn't allowed to be there alone. <clears throat> and I mean like the altitude sickness was some diarrhea and just some fatigue. Yeah. You can't be having diarrhea on some day. No <laughs> if how long trying.
0: does that take from there to to the top Some I guess it varies it's all day <laughs> all there and back though you don't go and stay, you go no, you touch you, it and come back,
3: yeah, you get up there, you get your photos, you get back i mean you you are your your body is shutting down at at that altitude,
1: um, oh, it's a matter of time, like you just
3: yeah yeah,
2: how so long, how long does it take to do that through the last three thousand feet
1: um
3: I don't know the exact time. It probably twelve to fifteen hours. Yeah. Mm. And it's not that far, but when you're at that at that height, at that altitude, you take one step another step. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the whole way is just I mean, there's no air to be had. So you're just moving at such a snail pace. Such a snail pace. It's and it's cold and it's windy and it it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Summit day is pretty rough, but Was it
1: bluebird for you guys that day? Heck, yeah. Oh, Man, nice. Um,
3: so, talk about summit day and then maybe talk about the route cuz the route's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, let's do it. So, summit day, we get up and and you know, get after it. You have to bring some cooking supplies and you have to bring your sleeping bag and an emergency bivy for enough people. So, basically, a lot of people end up getting caught in a storm on summit day and mm. then just freeze to death up there. So summit day was very light packing as far as stuff goes, but we still like, I'm carrying a pot. Like why am I carrying a pot up on summit day? Um, but very few other things. And, um, we had our boots on and over boots and crampons and every layer that existed. Um, and it's not particularly technical, um, on the last part of the night. for the most part, is just a big mound. You know i mean there's some areas of technical climbing but summit day was pretty chill um and it was sunny and it was bluebird the wind was kind of kicking um that day but it was just super slow going super slow going the whole day we had to stop and rest but you don't want to stop and rest because you get freaking cold the second you stop i mean it's july sorry it's the end of june and it's you know below zero up there um And we're walking and we're walking and we're walking and walking, which is really just the story of climbing Denali in in general. Um, And I, you know, I got pretty good at that point at just kind of like shoving the pain down (laughs) and shoving the discomfort down. It's just like left foot, right foot, left foot, right Mm -hmm. foot. And as we're getting near the top, I remember that everyone just kind of stops. And I stopped too, and I was just kind of still looking at my toes (laughs) so tired and finally i kind of look up and everyone's looking at me and i'm like what what, what's going on they're like you first and so really yeah oh they gave you the lead yeah so no way so they they let me summit first Um, wow um,
1: damn dude that's cool
3: and during this whole time like i've been taking the best photos like i had i was getting photographs all the time and and I had a little camera around my neck, so it was always warm and it was always charged. And I get it out to take some summit photos, and I take one photo of the group, and then my camera dies. Uh. I never got any photos of me. I mean, other people got photos, but um, we stayed up there for maybe about 10 minutes, I think. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it, it wasn't a lot of time. And Other people are trying to get their shot at, at the glory, Sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, there wasn't a lot of people on our summit day, and then we got ahead, you know, had to get all turned around on our rope teams and, and head back down. And I remember just absolutely falling apart on the way back. It's like, you got it done, but the going up is not the dangerous part. It's getting back down without doing something stupid. Yeah. Right. And that whole way down, I remember like just barely able to keep my legs moving ahead of me. I was just, I was just chucking along and, and, um, but finally, as we got down in altitude, be able to get more air in your lungs Mm and all that um, started to feel a little bit better. And then finally we could see the tent, you know, way far in the distance and mm-hmm. kind of got to a flat area where it was kind of chill and, and we we're out of the wind a little bit. And so the rest of the hike back, I was kind of able to just enjoy it. But um, man, I felt like I was going to collapse on, yeah. on, on yeah. the whole way down. I mean, like once I realized that I was there, the body's like, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. just go to bed now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is there any uh, like summit traditions? Like someone mm. brings up that's a, a great question, caribou call dude. or something, you know?
3: <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay. Um, I'm sure that there are hundreds of traditions. I mean, people come from all over the, the mm, world. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, you're so freaking tired up there that like really, to snap a selfie <laughs> is all the more. Yeah,
0: that's the, that's, yeah, that's the it. tradition. <laughs> No, Let's get the got. picture.
4: Well, I
3: made it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. People think yeah. that they're like gonna do like you know a, a jumping high five, or they're gonna do a, a, like a handstand or something, No or a chest man. bump or
1: something. It's like <laughs> no, that ain't happening.
2: You're gonna
3: you're gonna try and catch your breath unsuccessfully and just stand there.
2: <sighs> All right, I'm gonna take a second here to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Tailored Restoration, 24 hour emergency services. Helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, remodeling, and anything and everything in the aftermath. Tailored has an emergency response number with trained professionals available to help you at any t- time of day or night. Give them a call. You can check out their numbers by searching them on Google or hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com.
1: Restoration am done. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, so that... That summit is just, like, the pinnacle of...
2: Pinnacles?
0: Pinnacles.
1: <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's one thing to, like, physically get yourself up there, but to mentally keep pushing and, mm-hmm. like, that, to me, there must have been, like, some spiritual soul-searching connection. I know we talked about that doing other... Backpack mm-hmm. mountain hunting that we've done together. Yeah. Just getting up to something that's so hard is such a gratifying and satisfying feeling. Mm-hmm. That's just got to take it to a whole nother level. Yeah.
3: And I think I am probably projecting any sort of like deep contemplative thoughts that I might have had. Cause while I was out there, just, ugh. Yeah. Um, the one thing that was really trippy is there, it was cloudy that day for normal people like you know how you're up on in, in, in a plane and you can see clouds below you yeah. so we had clouds like a mile below us mm. oh yeah and it's complete cloud cover so it's just a white horizon a blue sky but when you're up that high if you look directly above you the sky is like black
0: oh because you're so just close to exactly the so, edge of the atmosphere mm-hmm.
3: so like oh, r- right, right above so you cool. middle of the day the sky is just dark um oh, which, shit, <laughs> Yeah, super, that's crazy. Super trippy. super trippy. Um yeah. So um wow. Yeah. I, I never really mind thought about it. With that one? And I remember kinda of looking up and be like, oh weird. And then I got <laughs> got back down and I, I was asking the other guys, I'm like, Was that was I tripping on? Or like no, it's there's just no atmosphere out there. I'm like,
0: oh, okay. Um Wow. I wanna go back to um you mentioned before how you started and kind of the route you did. And then I really want to geek out on the gear that you guys brought with yourself yeah. and what it took for you to like gather all that stuff up.
3: Lots of money. Yeah. Mm. Lots of money. Oh, mm. one more
0: thing about the money. Did you had to come out of pocket for that? Or yeah. were they like,
3: I got some sponsorships. Uh, I got some pro deals. Um, family helped out a little bit ultimately between all the gear, all the miss work, the cost of the climb, and all that, even though I did make some money and my band did some uh, fundraiser shows, it still set me back about fifteen grand.
1: Holy uh, shit, dude! Really? Yeah.
3: But um, oh. yeah. <laughs> so, sorry,
1: I, I was just thinking like eh, twenty five hundred bucks or yeah. something. Like, well, I missed 15, this, missed 000? a solid
3: like two months of work between all the training. Oh, and, okay. Like, and and the time I wasn't there. Okay. Um, so breaking like, it down. Yeah, really breaking it down. Total costs involved. Um, <laughs> it's it, financially really wrecked me. But the, so the route that we took and, and the reason that we were on the North face was, it was the original route. So, um, the Muldrow glacier route, if anyone's been on the Denali park road, the one you go on, on a bus, it goes some 90 miles into the park. Um, it, one of the last stops is wonder Lake. That's at like a elevation of like two thousand two thousand 2000 feet of elevation. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, most people, when they fly into an alley, they go on the West Buttress, they fly in by plane to 7,000 feet. We got off a bus. The whole crew just got off a bus at the what's called the McKinley Bar Trail. McKinley Bar Trail is like maybe two miles until you get to the McKinley River. Massive river. It's not like a particularly deep one, but there's just tons of braiding streams that go in and out mm-hmm. and all that. I mean, it can be all sorts of different heights. Um, so we just pile off a bus and, When you're mountaineering, you have a haul sled, so you can carry a lot of the weight on a sled behind you, so you don't have to have it on your back. Um, But when you're going through tundra and rock, you carry all the weight and the haul sled. So, Mm. like, it's like 90, 100-pound packs. I mean, Mm. we are talking soul-crushing weight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It just makes you want to quit. Yeah. Like, hundred. I had a 105-liter pack completely maxed out, like, some stuff hanging off the outside it was so full so it, it was pretty massive and uh, so you start the climb right from the mckinley bar trail anyone can go check out that trail um highly recommend it it's pretty cool if you make it down there um and we get to the, the mckinley river and camp for the first night it was like two miles so it was like if anyone wants to bail yeah you saw chance. what one day it was like <laughs> if, you, if you really don't want none now's the time um very next day we had to get up and cross the mckinley river which had some five or six stream crossings all of those were like knee high mid thigh so it wasn't terribly bad when you have that heavy of a backpack it's a problem
0: now what mm-hmm. about the sled is it just like it
3: the sled was tied to my back
0: full of stuff or you had no. put everything in the back and yeah. then just tie the sled yeah. as you go through the river so
3: so the first part was was the first part of the route, since we weren't on snow and weren't on the glacier, we had to carry everything and the sled on our backs. Oh, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> this is where they use dog sleds. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, they would have got there well before breakup mm-hmm. on right. a dog sled. You can travel easy. Yeah. Um, flying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once we make it past that, um, it's... So I wanna... how do
2: you keep your feet from getting wet?
1: You don't. Okay. Yeah. They're just wet and you walk them dry, right?
3: You walk them dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um is it uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's not fun. Um, and it, it's some thirty—I want to say it's some thirty miles total of hiking before you ever get to any glacier. So we had first first three or four days was just a, a struggle march. Man, it it was not fun <laughs> with all that weight. And like, yeah, I had been training with a backpack. I was not unaware of what it was like. I had not been training with that much weight all damn day on my back mm-hmm. um it was pretty soul crushing but uh i took i took a lot of uh i felt good because i saw other people struggling a lot more than me so like, no. yeah, you'll be okay <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> there's something to that when everyone's struggling the same you yeah. Know?
3: yeah yeah it's, yeah you're not the only one it made me made me feel like okay well if they're struggling too and they're still going then quit whining, and dana keep it moving so, so we go along and make our way to McGonagall Pass, and McGonagall Pass is right where you hit the Muldrow Glacier. Um, so the Muldrow Glacier is basically the highway to uh, the bottom of Denali. Um, it is, I think it's like 40 miles long total. We didn't travel from the very base of it, but uh, you make your way along the Muldrow Glacier. As yeah, I'm can-
1: trying to find, like, uh, here we go. Is that a pretty good...
3: Um, and and obviously, okay. like people on the podcast can't see this, but um, well, they well, can if they go to our have...
0: YouTube page. We're gonna yeah. put this these okay. pictures. Yeah, there's and stuff a visual, up. so we'll have it. So
3: So it. as as you're going, um, so you can see that there's Mount Tatum after Sam Tatum, and there's Carson's Ridge after Harry Carson's. That was the gnarliest part of the climb. Harper <clears throat> Glacier after after my fam. So and and um, so that this whole deal of glacier travel. The whole way up is is basically just trying not to fall through any cracks so you go you go it in springtime where it's warm enough to travel but not so late in the spring that all the snow is melted because the snow bridges over all of those crevasses Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and the later you go the less snow there is covering those things Mm. so like you have to find that balance between like do i want to freeze to death or do i want to freeze to death in a crevasse <laughs> <laughs> what's worse yeah so so the muldrow glacier i mean we were, we were on that that was probably half of our time was just making our way up the glacier it's a mm. lot of glacier travel um so it's a lot of winding around in all sorts of weird directions to trying to get you know how you see a path through someone work their way through a maze with a pencil yeah. or a pen and you can kind of see like what were you doing that's how we got up the mountain. So here's an here's a image
1: right here, Dana. So like oh, you're walking wow. up this whole thing and then yep, you go at this fork, you go left or right?
3: We go right. So, okay, I mean, that's we're, the north we're, side. We're like up at the very end of, of the Muldrow Glacier in this. And there's okay. a really interesting part about the Muldrow <coughs> Glacier I'll get into that's happening today. Um, but oh. so basically the Muldrow Glacier goes all the way up until it stops at the Harper Icefall. Okay, Harper mm. Icefall is like over a mile high. And it's is that just like right
1: here, Dino, somewhere yep. in here. Okay. Yep. So the Harper Glacier
3: unloads at the Harper Icefall onto the Muldrow Glacier. And at that point, you have to gain a ridge called Carson's Ridge to yep. get from the lower glacier to the upper glacier. And Carson's Ridge is it looks steep, gnarly. Yeah. Um, so
0: is that ropes and everything? Like-
3: yeah. So anytime we were on, on snow, we were roped up, always. You did not really do anything. You did not get off a rope ever. When we set up a camp, we would stake, it, stake out the whole camp all over the place looking for any crevasses or anything like that, and you didn't get off a rope until the whole place was deemed safe. Safe. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's always on rope teams. Um, and the Carson's Ridge is its just this knife-edge ridge, and it goes about 1,000 feet drop on one side down to the Muldrow, but it's dropping almost a full vertical mile to the Tri Lake Glacier on the other side which is, okay. I think is the other one that was which on that Which is auto. On, so mm-hmm. if you're
1: climbing up it would be on your left side. Yeah. Oh, okay.
3: So you're on just this knife edge ridge and it just drops on either side. Damn and statue. we had a camp on it too which was also super not cool. It's yeah. way too big to get done in in one day.
2: So you have to stay one night yep. on
3: that ridge. Yep. And then wow.
2: and how wide is this
0: ridge?
3: Um I mean for in some areas it's maybe 50 feet wide of like usable area mm-hmm. and in other areas. It was just literally a, a knife edge and you, you got on one side or the other and just uh, treaded very carefully.
4: Yeah. Very mm-hmm. carefully. Um,
3: so that was definitely the, the gnarly point of the climb and we were on there for several days and then Carson's Ridge unloads at the upper glacier, which is Harper glacier. And that leads you to high camp, high camp on the Muldrow glacier route is right next to high camp for the west buttress route and so from there we basically took the same trail that everyone else takes for summit day Mm -hmm. and then when you're done it hike all the way back out so some 21 days to the summit and five days back down and out
1: so 26 days from the time you got off the bus from bus to bus Bus to bus. You actually rode the
0: bus. Yeah, <clears throat> well, with we, all the stuff and tourists on there.
3: We hired a bus because there was enough mm. of us on oh, there. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean it took forever. Talk about like anticipation.
0: Oh, that's anticipation. a long bus ride. Yeah, I've been on that. That's a long. <laughs> long well, ride. and
1: real quick, like rewind. The main meeting point was Talkeetna.
3: Yes. Well, that was the jump-off point. Okay. I mean,
1: yeah. So the whole crew met, got on the bus in Talkeetna.
3: No, we got on the bus in um, in Denali Park.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: So. There was, um, so there was like If you
1: kissed your loved ones. Goodbye. Yeah. It was there.
3: Yeah. It was okay. Okay. Didn't doubt
1: in Denali. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: So, um, but yeah, I mean it all in all, it was absolutely incredible. It was absolutely life changing. You got nothing but time to think up there.
1: Mm hmm. Self-reflection time. Funny,
3: quick side story. I brought an MP3 player and a Kindle with me the second night. I fell asleep reading on my Kindle and I rolled over on it and my shoulder broke the screen. Oh! And then the fourth day that I was in there, I had my MP3 player charging on a little solar stand while we were out for the day. And I came back and the MP3 player had slid down into the ice and got wet. So I was up there with nothing mm. but my thoughts mm. for the other, not even a
1: paperback or hard no book or, nothing. or just nothing.
3: Just my thoughts. Oh, turns out I'm crazy. At 27, <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah. but,
1: what am I doing with my life? But, man,
3: <laughs> Honestly, it was like a soul quest, you know, that the, the proverbial yeah. soul quest. I mean, That's you're, what I mean, you're out there and, and you're just struggling uh, repeatedly for a long time. You don't know if you're going to make it back. You don't know what's happening or, or what's going to happen, if you're going to be successful or not. Um, and ultimately, it just sucks. And it's a lot of just walking and being cold all the time. Uh, but, man, I, I stepped up to the plate and. You did it, knocked it out, and I don't think I'll ever go back and do that
1: again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, why do you need to do it again? You did it Once. before, and to prove it, yeah, for the haters, for the haters, for the haters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask, yeah, about, prove it. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the camaraderie of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a huge team guy. I think everything works in unison as a mm-hmm. group um, creates a really amazing experience. When the, when the group is on level and, and you know, that togetherness, how was that with that, the unique group of people that didn't really know each other, didn't have time to train with each other, probably didn't have a lot of time to get to know your guides. Yep. Um, how were their personalities? Was there clashing? Was, was there unity? Like, what was that like?
3: Man, that whole project was so much bigger than any one of us.
1: Um, well, oh, great.
3: So I, I'll, a lot of people including myself was just like act right this is kind of history mm-hmm. don't be acting a fool don't yeah. be don't show your ass here yeah. on the trip yeah um so like for me personally i was the first person out of the tent every morning in my group okay um, i tried to make sure i was helping out you know setting up the ropes or helping cook breakfast or helping tear down um camp every time i tried to take more than my fair share of weight the whole time because i was one of the younger guys on the trip. And and I think I was one of the most trained on the trip. Okay. Besides the guides. Um, but ultimately you don't spend that much time with people and not end up kind of hating all of them at one point or another sure, in the time. Sure. But having
1: disagreements or whatever.
3: The other thing is like you traveling on a, on a rope team most of the time. And that person in front of you is 40 feet away. You got to yell at them to even communicate yeah, at all loudly. Right. With and you're just and- walking all day long so by the time you get back to camp or set up camp it's like am going to make some food
1: I'm going to bed mm-hmm. yeah, so like time.
3: it's not like we had a lot of time to like yeah. have these existential debates about you know how life should be lived or anything <laughs> yeah you're just <laughs> exhausted what are we doing tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> we're walking somewhere not exactly any firewood
1: to gather up and have a yeah, kumbaya yeah, or anything like that no, Yeah,
3: <laughs> I'm tired stop talking to me I'm going well, to bed
1: the reason why I asked is just because those environments and situations can bring out the best and the worst in people, and uh, yep. and not that I wanted to find out what was negative about it, but just to find out, did anybody break, and did 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 everybody seem like if someone was looking like they are having a bad day, did the next person kind of help? Yeah, bring them up, and yeah, everybody
3: we, broke at one point or another. Yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely had some times where I was struggling and yeah. not not into hearing anyone else's shit. Um, yeah, for the most part, when I was when I was having those days, I would. Just go in the tent. Just go hang out. Just I couldn't read. <laughs> I couldn't put in headphones. Yeah. If I no did, shit. everyone would be like, "What is Data doing?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? um, so I, ultimately, it was it was bigger than all of us, and everyone recognized that yeah. at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone really stepped up.
1: That's cool.
0: Really nice. I want to get into the gear thing, but yeah. before we do that, um, I want to give a shout-out to the Treehouse AK, k uh, Your one-stop dispensary located at 341 Boniface Parkway. Uh, be sure to ask the bud tender about their deal of the day, because honestly, guys, this there's always something good on deck, and this is where the culture lives. At the Treehouse, their dedication to servicing consumers has been developed through a lifetime of involvement in the cannabis culture. They're committed to providing the highest quality products of whatever your value or budget affords, while always maintaining the deep rooted principles that have carried them this far. Their focus is on relationships over transactions, and you can always depend on them to treat you with the respect you deserve. Hit them up at thetreehouseak.com. Remember, you must be 21 years of age to enter the store. And one quick thing that I've noticed at the Treehouse as I've been going in there week after week is uh, they don't have a big turnover on staff. Um, it hmm. seems that like you'll find the same bud tenders in there. So they're very uh, knowledgeable and they get to know you and get to know kind of like what you're looking for. So you're not in there always like, uh, this new guy maybe knows what he's talking about. Maybe he doesn't. So you'll see the same faces over there and get to know the, um, the girls and the guys over there that can help you out with, uh, finding whatever it is you need.
1: Yeah. Personal touch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's
0: nice. Exactly. And he just got a bunch of, uh, new treehouse gear and fire supply, uh, merch mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and go support those guys with the new, uh, New shirt or or a hoodie or something like that.
1: Yeah, I need to go get that new treehouse hat, man. Josh had that hat on this weekend. Oh, he's got a new new? Sharp. Yeah, I mean, it's just got that logo on there. Yeah. But their logo is so legit. It's like, it's a marijuana Mm -hmm. dispensary. Yeah. But the logo is, I call it Alaska Rich, is what (laughs) his logo is to me. Uh Uh-huh. Alaska Rich to me is me retired, living in the woods in a little cabin. Mm -hmm where I can come out and just drink a cup of coffee and listen to the birds. Yeah. That's it. Like I would I be it. the richest man in the world and his logo is that. Nice. Woods mountains beautiful little cabin.
3: I have a tattoo on my arm that's that exact. Yeah. Exact scene because yeah. it's
1: just like that's yeah. that's what that's I That's it. The pinnacle of life for me. Well, right? maybe I, don't, I didn't climb to Nally, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> not yet. You still got time. You
1: still got time, man. I don't know if I'd be down for that one, dude. Let me That's, recommend against it. I think I'll take your word. You know what? I'll unless just it's just passion vicarious- project And yeah. it's
3: something that you really have always had your sights set on. No. It's going to cost a lot of money to suffer.
1: I'll live vicariously through your experience yeah, and okay. be like, yep. There you go. I know a guy that did it. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, come
0: to find out your great grand mother is uncle. <laughs> <was up> there. <laughs> little did i know
1: yeah oh man dude that was badass though um yeah. th- just the whole that whole process the the operation i mean that isn't something that you can just hey man it's like two weeks beforehand let's go hit denali
3: you're not gonna be as that climb some people can i mean some people there are probably
1: some like barney badasses out there yeah. that like just do it for a living and can just fly into town and just rip mm-hmm. it But
3: I mean, I I feel confident now because I got the gear. I have -hmm. the knowledge. Like I I know what it takes. And even though I'm not applying that anymore to big mountains like that, I still apply that in all of my backcountry snowboarding. I still apply that in all of my backpacking trips. I still apply a lot of it in when I do mountain running because I run a lot of mountains. So Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely like that can't be taken away. And that experience can't be taken away. And and sometimes I, I feel... I feel good in the fact that, like, through no amount of money can can afford someone the knowledge. Like, if I need to, I can run from my house straight into the mountains and pop out in Girdwood.
0: Yep.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I'll be okay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know how yeah. to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, before we get into geeking out on the gear that you brought and that you have and that mm-hmm. you've learned, um Jack, we're going to do some trivia tonight. Yeah, we should do. Some oh, trivia. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm, we- and just for the record, I'm three and out in the last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. no hints.
1: Well, I loved how before our our little production meeting before the podcast, Dana, Dana's like, "Shit, man, I'm not the best guy to ask." <laughs> sorry, I was like, "Hey, you're right here with us, brother. Lifelong <laughs> Laugh Alaskans don't know shit." <laughs> what you got for us today, Jack?
2: Yeah, so we tried to to base them around our our favorite mountain in Alaska, Denali, mm-hmm. or. One of our favorite mounds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we know that the first successful attempt, uh, attempt, or I guess, first summit, successful summit yeah. summit mm-hmm. was in 1913. What year was the first documented attempt? You know, so this is a fail. Ooh. 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 Mm-hmm. Documented
0: attempt. <sighs> I'm,
2: gonna say I'm going to
1: say 1890.
0: Going
3: 1898.
1: Mm. Uh, let's see here. 1907. No idea why, I just figured that's a good number.
2: Yeah, so in 1903, <sighs> James Wickersham, we have a lot of Alaska I always Wickersham. go over, though, man. This, this person's yeah. still, relatives are still up go here. over. Recorded the first attempt, which was unsuccessful. And then in 1906, Frederick Cook claimed the first attempt, but mm-hmm. then was later re- debunked.
3: Yeah, but he yeah. did find the Muldrow Glacier route. Oh, he did. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure he was. He He was the one that that? like really figured out like that's how you. That's how you get. That's how you get up there. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. How did they debunk it? Do you know? Um,
3: So they took photos. So the other thing that they had to do on the 1913 trip was they had to boil water to figure out what temperature it boiled at. They had to like do some scientific experiments up there to that is so
1: badass, dude.
3: I could barely stand and take a selfie. These guys are like setting up tent and making and doing, you know, getting their nineteen
2: thirteen fuel system. Yeah. Like, a <laughs> reactor. how's that what even the hell burning? What was that there? even doing? I mean,
1: it's <laughs> not like they had a jet boil up there. Yeah, yeah. animal oil. Jet boil. Yeah,
3: bear fat oil. They definitely oil. use some sort of oil yeah. in there. Um, yeah, and uh, and they also got photos. I mean, you, so you had to have photos, and and the photos that they took were later debunked because it was like just the the views and and where they're at was clearly not. Mm. the views that you would have had but at the time there's no one to say
2: no yeah yeah yeah.
3: no so um i mean they they what was the
2: span between the two Ten years between the first Oh he that guy had ten years yeah. of shine. Huh? Oh no, that guy the, the the first like debunked attempt was nineteen oh six. So okay. Yeah, he still had seven years. Yeah. Seven years of nineteen
1: oh seven, House close to rock star dude? I was going over though. <laughs> well you were talking about the photos. Uh
2: huh.
1: Um I try to tell people about this image that I've seen, but I can't they need to see it in person. Is the one you made for Ryan. And you gave it to him uh, as yeah. a gift. Mm-hmm. And what this image is, um, you're not at the top. It's but you're, so cool.
3: It's near. It's near the bottom of the glacier.
1: Okay, but uh, in nineteen thirteen, in two thousand and thirteen, we had a raging forest fire going on mm-hmm. uh, in. Was that? It's
3: all over the interior. I mean, there was an interior fire. All of Alaska was? was on fire that year.
1: So, so as a as a uh, Christmas gift um, to our employer, he made and printed like how you know you did that panel picture of me Mm -hmm. canvas prints canvas print of his climb uh and there's the the clouds are kind of covered and it's all just red from the smoke and then the sun explain that Dana it's just the sickest photo.
3: So on our on our way back down the final day on the glacier. Oh that
1: was on your way down.
3: Yeah I was on the way down. Oh okay. So final day on the glacier and we wake up in the morning. So on the way down on the glacier, the whole glacier had freaking melted. So like the route we took the way up, we couldn't take on the way down. Like all of a sudden there's just gaping holes, you know, just crevasses. So oh, wow. like yeah. we had to reroute, it took a little bit longer. Um, but it was supposed to be our final day and I wake up and it's raining. And like I had to deal with rain in forever. And we're all just dog tired. Like we had made it from the summit Halfway down the mountain, and then we were another big chunk of the way down. Um, and we're just in the middle of this valley. You know, There's mountain walls on either side, and I'm hearing rock fall on either side. <laughs> kind of just sounds like little mini avalanches. And, and during that day, we're going to have to kind of traverse along a sidewall. So everyone was so tired. Everyone was hating it. Everyone wanted to go home, but no one wanted to get out of the tent. And like everyone was so pissy that morning everybody and i'm you're like just over it right and i'm like get up get out of the tent let's do this and my tentmates are like no <laughs> <laughs> so i get up and i'm helping cook i'm like get out like I, I want to get off of this glacier i don't want to be roped to you guys anymore yeah. like let's go it took forever to get on the trail that day but you do alpine starts when when you're mountaineering which means you take off before the sun okay. rises you know how oh. hard that is to do in june yeah. It's like yeah. 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Yeah. Um so that day as like we finally get moving, everyone's just uh, just trudging along hating it and the sun starts rising up and so there's wildfires everywhere and there's low cloud cover just kind of right up right in front of us and the sun just pops up right below the clouds and it lights up the clouds but there's so much smoke and all that, that like all of this Alpenglow is lighting up the whole freaking sky. And it uh, was just the most glorious thing that that I had ever seen. I mean, the whole thing was like, uh, it was cool. reds and oranges wow. and purple. And it just lit up like the photo that that he has is not photoshopped at all. Oh, hell
0: no. Can you send that to Brandon so we can yeah. throw it yeah, up on our feed? please do.
3: I have a video of it too, <clears throat> where I'm like stepping over crevasses and just kind of like, making my way through the day i had a camera on my neck so like i could like record a little bit and if something happened, just drop it when mm. when it fall and, and i got photos of it so that was yeah it was it's a it was, fascinating oh, photo awesome. it just
1: looks like there's just this like cloud of fire under where yeah. they're at mm-hmm. it Amazing. looks fake but yeah. it's real yeah and
3: it's not photoshopped at all it was no just, it's, it was, it's
1: such a cool photo yeah. i remember walking in like what is that and oh dana gave me that and i'm like Oh. oh, he just told me a few weeks ago he we did Denali, yeah. and I put it together. I'm like, man, yeah. that is mm-hmm. phenomenal. But
0: well, let's let's get into the gear. Let's get into. Oh, uh, well, yeah.
1: quick, were we done with trivia? Was that it? It's up to you guys. Oh, let's I do one more. No, if you got one more, yeah. got one more. It. all right. Because once again, I lost, but I was over, but yes. I was closest.
2: You this were happened closest a lot. You. So you're ahead. So I have two yeah. more. We can get you through these know. ones quick. I'll get Yeah, we'll any, go for it. A simple one to get through. So there's one species of amphibian living in Denali Park. What is it? The tree frog.
3: I'm going to just say a frog frog.
1: <laughs> uh, no, don't it's say a frog. Wood, wood frog. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what it's else is there? It's a wood we frog, I want to say, not tree frog. Amphibia, wood even frog. Even in Alaska, I, we don't have lizards. We don't have snakes.
3: The glacier snakes. Of the, <laughs> <day>. <laughs> <laughs> the glacier.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Daniel's right. It's the wood frog. So, Oh, right. uh, nice. Da- wow. This is that cool creature that during the winter, the, sick, the wood frog freezes itself into a cryogenic state where its heart stops beating and lungs stop pumping, but in the spring, it thaws out. Yep. What we used a to sick. catch them as what kids. An amazing kids. creature. Me and my brother. Yeah, we used to go frogging cool. all the time. Catch them. Wow. Him. Yeah. All right. One more Denali question, then we're done. Okay. Um, <clears throat> How many total square miles Does Denali Park cover Two million I'm
0: gonna say
1: Denali Park
2: Square miles Square
0: miles Okay that's What do long. you got Dana <laughs> Square miles
3: I wanna say that I heard it was like 40,000 acres But I feel like that's an under Underestimate I'm gonna do 20,000 square miles mm. For no reason at all.
1: And you said how many?
0: I, I went over it. Can I change my answer? Sure. <laughs> go ahead. No, seriously. Because
1: I i mean, if you say 40,000 square acres, I don't even know what that calculates out to. I tried to do some math. Square miles? <laughs> yeah. no way. I'm going to say <laughs> no, 100 160,000. Uh, 225,000.
2: Square miles? Did I? Wait. No, no, yeah, no, sure. Okay. Okay. Sure. okay. Sure. okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, this just goes went hand way to, over. This goes uh, hand in hand with <laughs> our all of Alaska. amazing <laughs> knowledge of Alaskan or miles history. <laughs> what a square yeah. mile is. Dana doubled it, so it's nine thousand four hundred forty-six or yep. six million acres. Okay, so I think. The okay, acres, oh. uh, the acre square miles threw me mm-hmm. off. Yeah, so yeah. yeah oh, I didn't, didn't oh carry just the the
0: square two. miles. I didn't carry the two.
2: <laughs> so square miles. That. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: you know. Oh.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, if you know, I would have thought about that. I doubt not I was
0: thinking metric. I, was, I, I, never, <laughs> I, thought you, I
1: thought you were saying square meters.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I thought right, this yeah. was Europe, yeah.
1: bro. All
2: right, that's the questionnaire. That's the you right guys, man. Bad. That's the trade. Yeah. Well, all once <laughs> you guys did good. You know? I think
1: it's actually, it's actually really better that we just botch the fuck out of these things because, man, we're, you know, I don't know who does know the answers to any of this shit. <laughs> like I don't
0: Dave know. Dave li- That's you, it.
2: You, yeah, Dave Moore. With the Dave comb Moore. over? Yeah, yeah, Dave Moore knows. 1903, <laughs> baby. 1903.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. I read about it once.
0: Okay, 100 pounds in the backpack. Ugh. Walk us through from the bottom to the top. First of all, the first question I don't know is, what sleeping bag do you got?
3: Um, so I have
1: a second question. Follow-up. Okay. Go ahead.
3: So I have <clears throat> a North Face sleeping bag, 15 below. Um, it, I did bring a silk liner. In there too, and then two sleeping pads. So mm. one just normal blue foam mm-hmm. roll-up one, mm-hmm. and then a um, a double layer thermarest that mm. I still use to this day. Nice. I actually nice. use both of those still to this day. Um,
1: What's the R rating on that?
0: It's gotta be four. Or not. Cold. It, it, oh, the, oh the, trivia guy! <laughs> 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 <just caught> <laughs> yeah, what's our rating on that, there, Dana? So,
3: I, I did pick the one that was like double thick, and it had like a little separation wall in between the mm-hmm. in between it to help with it. But um, so, if you're staying warm camping in the winter, you need to insulate yourself from the ground.
1: Yep. Period. It'll suck it right out of you.
3: So, having two sleeping bags helped with that a lot. Um, I keep on hearing different ways about doing it. I did the blue sleeping bag or the blue sleeping pad on the bottom. And then my sleeping pad on top. A lot of people said to do it the other way so that you never end up risking popping your sleeping pad, mm-hmm. which could be catastrophic on Denali. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, luckily it didn't happen. Uh-huh. Better
1: have some tenacious tape handy just in case. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So,
3: and then as far as staying warm goes at night because I did only have a 15 blow sleeping bag. Um, what we did every night was we boiled water because you have to, I'm sorry, boiled snow to mm. make water. Um, so everyone filled up a Nalgene full of hot water, pretty much boiling hot water or two. And what we do is I would take one of those and we have a little insulated Nalgene. Um, like a sleeve? Yeah. Mm. I would take one and throw it just in the foot of my sleeping bag while we're finishing up dinner or whatever else. And then if I had another one available that night, I would put it like between my legs. So the heat would just kind of residually come out from all that hot water and keep my feet warm okay. mm, at night. Um, <clears throat> you're going to need the water any which way at some point you can't drink it for that night. Cause it's so hot. Yeah. Um, so did that to help. And then, I mean, we got down jackets and down snow pants and stuff like that. So if it did get a little extra chilly. Um, throw those over the sleeping bag um, as well. But for the most part, I slept just in a long sleeve and and um, like my liner pants mm-hmm. every night and stayed as as warm as you could expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. At, at no point did I feel like I was going to freeze to death. Very few times while I was on the glacier was I like, oh, this is
1: nice. Yeah, I'm so cozy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so so sleeping is, is obviously you got to take that very seriously. Um, you can buy the $8,000 two-degree bag or, you know, 200 below bag or whatever. Um, in the grand scheme of things, like just using your brain and planning ahead, mm. eating enough calories to stay warm through the night mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Going pee before you go to bed, mm-hmm. your body doesn't have to heat that liquid yep. all night long. There's also no place to, I mean, you, you don't want to get up to go pee in the middle of the night. It's cold. <laughs> it's well, yeah. And cold. dangerous.
1: I mean, just stepping out there. I mean, of course it's so every, out, every, every camp see, we had
3: had a, it's own pisser and shitter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could do it, but the amount of layers you have to put back on to go out and do that in the middle of the night, like just don't. Do they have like yeah, a designated tent it. for
0: that or something? No. Just it's the area. A snow wall. Okay. Just to block the window. And then there's
3: an area for number one, and then there's a bucket with a bag in it for number two.
2: Who takes that down?
3: So on the West Buttress, you literally have to pack all of your shit off the mountain.
2: Literally. Hmm.
3: Turns out it doesn't melt. So after (laughs) decades, it became a problem. Yeah. Yep. On the north side of Denali, it's not nearly as bad. We just had to make sure that we i mean it had to be in a bag and we had to find a good like really deep crevasse to throw it in um but that's not allowed on the west buttress at all you literally have to take that poop bucket with you the whole way Mm -hmm. um but yeah so you you just do not go to the bathroom at night you figure it out and you plan your your meal and you plan your drinking um around that like yeah. you, you the just, timing of it all your yeah. bladder and all that um some people bring like a, an extra pee bottle mm-hmm. so i mean if you if you always got to go in the middle of the night and you can't hold it that's an option as well just the risk of mixing that with filling up the wrong bottle uh, or yeah. taking it out of the yeah. wrong <laughs> bottle like <laughs> yeah. what about
2: the wide mouth gatorade everyone knows that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly man yeah
3: um, so yeah you Stay stay hydrated, but don't overhydrate. Eat <laughs> plenty of food before bed because calories equals warmth. Yeah. Insulate mm-hmm. yourself from the ground, get hot water and put it in the sleeping bag. It makes a huge difference. Nice. What
0: tent are they using?
3: Um they were just mountain hardware mountaineering tents. They weren't okay. They weren't like multi thousand dollar tents.
0: Just mountain um, hardware ones.
3: Four season tents that needs mm-hmm. to have a vestibule in it, a big mm-hmm. front one. So mm. basically when you're winter mountaineering the front of the vestibule is really big and you actually dig down. Mm-hmm. So like you kind of get out and you can, your your feet can go below you. So you're kind of like on a bench. Gotcha. Um, so, and that's where all the gear is stored. You can't put all the gear in there. So, and I mean, they're three man tents with three men. in them. So um, it's cramped in there. So you got to have your systems dialed. I mean, your changes of clothes need to be like set aside in, in a bag or some sort of carry sack. And, and like, you just don't, you don't get into camp and just throw everything everywhere, because every it's not a yard sale. Every day you have to pack <laughs> it all back up. And like I don't know about you guys, but with that much weight on my back, I'm not carrying extra. What I'm already carrying extra, I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking your extra pants, bro. <laughs>
4: yeah, no,
1: you're on your own. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, so yeah, a lot, lot of stuff sacks uh, were used as well. Um, the tents were, were just basic tents. They're four season tents, but yeah. um, th- there weren't anything crazy, and I used. Um, La sportiva um, Barunce I mean, boots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still got them. They're
0: are those um, are really yellow red, yellow and red ones. Yellow.
3: Um, yellow and and gray. Um, they're a soft shell boot with a removable liner. Mm. Mm. So you take out the liner at night. I throw <clears> the liner in my sleeping bag with me. I take my socks off, wrap them around my torso, like so. I'll put them under my shirt, but wrap them around my torso because you need to keep it dry. And that helps dry it out, yep. too. Yeah. So when, when you're on Denali, you don't bring a whole bunch of extra socks. I yeah. had three pairs of socks and two pairs of underwear.
1: It rotated them out. The
3: whole time. Yep. So you need to dry the shit out. <laughs> you need to keep it clean and do whatever you can. Um, feet did get a little cold sometimes, but those things did really good. Um, and then I had a lot of mountain hardware gear. So, like, if you're packing for a mountaineering trip or a hunting trip or something where you're going to be out for an extended period of time. Um, The biggest thing I learned from all that is pack your layers only enough that you could put everything in your bag on at once. Mm. Don't pack three fleeces. Don't pack three pairs of blue jeans, pack everything so that it makes sense where you can layer it up. So like, you know, long johns, and then liner socks, but then socks that go over those liner socks and maybe some extra thick socks for at night. And then pants and then snow pants and then the puffy snow pants. Mm. Same thing with the top. I had a I had a tank top just to help with um, just with sweat. So I have a tank top and then a really light moisture-wicking long-sleeve shirt. There's a quarter zip. And then over that, kind of like a a light to mid-level quarter zip and then a heavy zip fleece and then a windbreaker and then a an actual shell and then a puffy. So, oh, so
0: you put the wind shell under.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. so like when, when you're up there, basically the idea is when you stop to take a break, you throw the puffy on over everything else because you, you don't want to take off a bunch of layers to put on the puffy and uh, then take it back mm-hmm. off. So You so lose the, all your heat. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the, the puffy is, is the is the thing that goes on over everything and insulates
1: you to keep you warm in that yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. If
3: I'm going to just hang out or watch a hockey game or something, I would put a puffy on under a shell. But in, in that situation, it goes on last. Got it. Interesting.
0: Um, What's that puffy you got? Um,
3: or you used then? the one I had then was a mountain hardware and it was, a it was like a XXL. Um, and it, I think it was called a belayman. It, it wasn't like, a massive really big puffy it was just it was big it was well insulated it's like an 800 gram insulation okay Mm -hmm. um but but the idea is like if you're stuffing your backpack full of stuff really they should all work as a system yeah all together as opposed to changes of clothes Mm. i'm sure you guys have experienced you pack all this stuff and go out on a on a hike or or something and you didn't use half of it yeah so the idea is like you should be able to load it all on you at one time. And if you have extras after that, or it doesn't fit and you can't stack it all up, it's a bad system. Hmm. So um, I think that's pretty critical. And people spend a lot of time thinking about gloves and good socks and stuff like that. But if your feet are cold, you really need to warm up your legs because the blood going through your legs gets to your feet. So Mm. better pants will cause less cold feet. Better insulated jackets will cause less cold hands. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been there where, you know, you're out playing outside in the snow and you got a bunch of gear on and like, you don't need gloves all of a sudden, even though it's below zero, like you're just cooking heat. It's a great point. If you insulate, I mean, if you think about how far blood has to go through to get to your hands, like if it has time to get cold, by the time it gets there, yeah. it, it's, oh. it's it's all over. I told you this dude's up.
1: full shirt, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. He's full got pro shirt, tips. Yeah. I did yeah. not screw around out
3: there. Man. What,
1: what was the, the pack? You said 100 pounds. You yep. got your whole life in this thing.
3: So I had the Mountain Hardware BMG 105. BMG stands for Big Mountain Guide. And it was actually, mm. they worked BMG. with um, Alaska Mountain Hearing School to design a Denali pack.
4: Oh, oh sick.
3: Nice. Right so on. I got that pack. I still have that pack. I use that pack for nothing at all. It's, <laughs> it's hanging on the wall. It is so <laughs> bomb proof. I mean, it's just canvas and it's just like heavy duty stitching. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just bomber. But, um, 105 liter pack is just so excessive. That for, is major for That's most major. of stuff. And like, it just hurts
0: for reference. I, like on the sheep hunt, it's like 70,
3: yeah. 70. yeah. Yeah, seventy two
0: hundred. I got a sixty five liter pack. Sixty to eighty. Yeah,
3: 70 yeah. To eight. yeah. So I mean, what what I've learned over over the time is like the backpack does not need to be full. If you pack well, <laughs> you you don't need that giant backpack. If you have yeah. a giant backpack, you're gonna fill it. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. bring shit you don't need. And then you're going to sit here with all the shit you don't need and resent it because you're not going to use it. And you just carried it this yeah. whole way. And yeah. you're realizing how dumb you are at that moment. Like,
0: you just get at the back of the line and throw it down the crevasse.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was this, was that pack necessary on this particular yeah. experience? I mean, I mean that you, one, it was, did stuffed you fill that sucker every time? It yeah. was, I mean,
3: it was, it was stuff full for the whole time that I was not on the glacier, which was f- three or four days on the front end and, and a day and a half on the back end. Yeah. Um, so the rest of the time, I was it had a whole sled so you can throw it in yeah, there. Yeah, you but, drag it. Yeah, so so I feel like when I go backpacking or I go for like a big tour on backcountry snowboarding or something, nowadays I, I lay out all of my gear the night before with my backpack. I'll either do it in the garage or, or downstairs somewhere, lay out my my socks and my lower body layers, my upper body layers, my gloves, my hats, my safety gear, everything. Lay it all out, take half of it away, and then look at it, and then maybe take another half of that, and then look at it. And be like, mm,
4: do I really need that?
3: And then go to bed, and then in the morning, the stuff you take out, be like, I really want that jacket, <laughs> but
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> never sleep on it. <laughs> never have I, after deciding to throw something back in there, been like. Woo. I needed that. Every time I go, oh,
1: why did I bring that down? I day? knew better.
3: <laughs> but also for me, I run really, really hot. I'm just a very warm-blooded individual. Yeah. I thrive in the wintertime. I love it. I can, I mean, I did half of my marathon training in less than, you know, 20 degrees and, and less. So, like, I'm built for it. So, for me, a lot of my gear choices are built around sweat mitigation. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay cool. Uh, I'm trying to stay dry, as dry as I can, and I'm trying to... So I pick a lot of things that are very breathable and a lot of things that are really more, like, running or cardio-related than, like, mountain... Maybe on the thinner
1: thinner side, too? Thinner,
3: more moisture-wicking, more breathable Mm -hmm. stuff um, because, ultimately, wet equals cold. Mm -hmm. Wet equals cold every freaking time. You'll not find a single cotton thing in my entire... Pack when I when I go out into the backcountry. No. It's no. just the most no. worthless thing ever no. uh, for that.
4: That's a guarantee. No. Mm-hmm.
2: Right on. So being into mountain running, uh, how did uh, your your son of Denali affect you getting into mountain running,
3: um,
2: or impact that?
3: So as of recently, I've kind of just started to I- identify with being an endurance athlete. Um, I've done done one marathon. I'm training for another marathon. Um, I've done the lost lake run before and a lot of it was just going up to the mountains for exercise. So going up flat top and you know, I made it up pretty good. I want to try and do it faster next time and then faster next time. And then faster next time. Um, where, you know, it, it, it's different. I mean, I've always loved snowboarding. I've always loved to go fast. Um, anything that has a throttle, I'm going to I'm gonna go fast with, so it's just kind of a natural progression of things. Um, my wife is actually running Mount Marathon this year. Nice. Her
0: are they gonna do it this year? Yeah. Nice.
3: Yeah. So they're doing it on a Wednesday, okay. so there's not gonna be um, a, as yeah, much yeah, fanfare. Crowds. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so, and a big part of it was was my wife Jenna just dragging me out because she is really into it. Her okay. dad's been a mountain runner. This is gonna be his 32nd year doing. Oh, Mount nice. marathon. He's actually done Denali three times. Like I said, I can't go anywhere. I was <laughs> like, oh yeah, Denali.
2: <laughs> yeah, cool story. Um, bro. Has he ever done your route?
3: No. Ah.
4: Yeah. See, that's so what that, you got over all these other. Fools, that got me man. in
3: good with the old man. He's like the Muldre. I'm like, yeah. He's like, wow.
1: Are you gonna put a ring on her finger? Or what? <laughs>
3: yeah. So, so like I said, Jenna and her dad are running Marathon and her brother. So they're all like, they've grown oh, up their whole life affair, watching their yeah. old man run this race, so now that they're getting older and they love doing that, um, I prefer to either just casually go up a mountain and go back down, or go for runs on somewhat flat ground. Um, the idea of running down a mountain, I've gotten pretty good at it, but it's just playing with fire, man. Yeah, It's just, yeah. It's just uh, playing with fire. A lot of room for
4: error there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Where can That's people great. find... Uh, you have a Facebook or Instagram or anything?
3: I have a Facebook that... I don't get on a whole lot as much as I used to, but I do have a really good photo album, like 90 90 photos from the Denali trip. Oh, okay, That's public, so you can see that on my Facebook page. Um, I never got on Instagram. I never got on any other ones. I, I think once Instagram came out, I got on that for a little bit. I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden, another one came out. Another one came out. I'm like, you know what?
1: Going back Can to you MySpace, keep up with this.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> I tried to find my old MySpace profile and it's all like completely gone. I was like, man, I would love to see how bad that was.
0: So, is the Instagram Dana right? I deleted it. You deleted Probably, it. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean the Facebook. Yeah, uh, Dana.
1: I think it's Dana K. Right.
0: Dana mm-hmm. K Wright W R I G H T. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, if people want to go on there and find the find the pictures. Yeah, he does have
1: a really cool page, and and a lot of his hikes, and and Jenna and the dogs, and you mm-hmm. guys doing your adventures.
0: Yeah, we're yeah. we're all
1: over
3: Alaska all mm-hmm. the time. We're picking off mountains all summer long, all yeah. winter long. You guys we're, do we're really traveling. cool
1: trips, man. Yeah, we travel yeah. all
3: over the place. I mean, got no kids, got three dogs and a camper, so we get after it. Uh, yep. Yeah. So that's always fun. I I am uh pretty lucky. Pretty lucky to live up here, and I thrive in Alaska. Maybe I'd f- thrive anywhere else, but um, I feel like I've just built for this place. You are,
0: yeah. you That's are. great. Yeah. You don't you mind if people hit you up if they have questions? If maybe they're considering, yeah, doing a Denali climb or mm-hmm. any type of mountaineering questions? Okay, that's great. And we'll definitely post a bunch of those pictures on the mm-hmm. Instagram you know, page. Pull a bunch of stuff off um, there when the show drops. So if you're listening today, go to our Instagram page. Um, There'll be pictures of uh, Dana's climb, mm-hmm. and as usual, the YouTube page as well shows a lot of the pictures and the routes and yep. the tent and all the
2: gear that's going on on there. Yep. Yeah. I know I'm going to hit you up about that Grace Ridge climb, because I want to go do that. And go. Oh, man. Grace Ridge
3: Homer. is so cool. Where's that one at? It's across the bay from Homer, and like oh, you're, it's just this yeah. ridge hike. You just go from one side to the other, and you're looking over like Tutka Bay and Sadie Cove or... Maybe that's not right, but it's in between two bays mm-hmm. and you're just going up this like ridge that goes between them and you're just looking out at mountains and ocean and it is just
1: Oh, there's freaking. probably goats cool. and critters and things like that to see.
3: Jen and I went down there for five days last year and we knocked out a bunch of hikes, went out to the Gruint Glacier and mm. Sadie Cove and we were in Homer for five days of uninterrupted, beautiful, sunny weather. be No it. wind, no yeah. rain. I don't know what the heck happened. But it's pretty much never going to happen again, so we've already just like written that one off.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, one and done.
3: Grace Ridge actually has a race. Oh, really? Yeah. And Jenna was trying to get me to do that, but it's like a week before the marathon, okay. <laughs> and run, I'm like, no. <laughs> She's like, why not? I'm like, I I spent four months training for this thing. I'm not gonna like blow an ankle right before that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. But they raced that one too. So apparently, like uh, the mountain running community is definitely growing a lot.
2: Yeah, that's way that's cool. That's cool, man. Where do you stay when you go over there? Did Did you go stay on the end of the harbor and just go, or then spend, mm-hmm. go each day? Yep, out. Okay. Yeah, we. Uh,
3: so during that time, it, it was COVID, so there's like nobody out there, so renting a water taxi was very easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out, corralling three dogs onto a water taxi, keeping them from pissing off anyone else on the water taxi, and then getting them off of it on the other side, um, much harder is a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I did it twice in a row. Yeah, you
1: guys take those dogs everywhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> they got to come. They're going to go, gonna go wherever mean, we're going to go. Yeah. And like. It's, if, it's amazing. If they got to hang out for the day while we're out doing something because they can't come hang. They're cool because we exercise them so much that yep. they don't really have a whole lot of time to be yeah. uh, neurotic or, or or a pain in the butt.
2: So. And yeah. hopefully they bark at black bears. <laughs> Man, <laughs> my dogs. I,
3: I was going to tell you, my dogs do not. Oh, they do. they do not. All three of them will be. Running or biking or something like that, and they'll just like run right by a moose. Look, like, hey moose, and just keep on going, <laughs> and then we'll come face to face with it. Like they won't even they won't even like stop. Their they, their ears won't perk up. They're just like oh it's just a big dog, and they'll keep on going. So no, they're wildly unhelpful on that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would have so been in the same CD position the that URL you would have been. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, actually. <laughs> They might have just ran up and sniffed its butt. Just right. check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: that would have actually been pretty helpful. <laughs> Give you a chance to back up out of there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, uh, Dana, thanks for sharing your amazing story and yeah. your awesome man, deeply rooted Alaskan family. Yeah. Right. That's just amazing. That's a great story. Man, great experience.
3: The whole thing fell into my lap. Um, so I don't want people to think that I'm some sort of guy that set out to do this his whole life. It's just like an opportunity like that shows up and you can either go for it or not yeah well timing i did
1: it timing is you know it's such a cliche but it's everything i mean it was meant to happen for you that moment Mm -hmm. and you went after it and now you have a life experience to share with all of us that most of us won't do and and the story is amazing and it's yeah it's a a one-of-a-kind because everybody has their different experience Mm -hmm. you know i
2: agree so it it was beautiful man yeah it revitalizes this piece of alaska history that we didn't know about yeah yeah that's awesome to all of us yeah
1: definitely yeah and i don't know that i know there's a big community that's into that but it's not it doesn't carry the popularity of a lot of other alaskan adventures and and Mm -hmm. activities i I bet some there's probably some people out there would be like what are you talking about there's a lot of people that know about this but for me in general lifelong alaskan i was never into climbing or that kind of thing and when you told me your story, I was like, "Man, we gotta get this guy on. This yeah. is this is what Alaska's all about. This is something that's extreme. This isn't just the dude that goes and hikes Flat Top. That's a pretty tough run just to do a day trip up Flat Top. No disrespect to that, but this is the top dog shit of Alaska. You, yeah, I mean, level. that's it. That's that's it. So, yeah. Thanks for coming on, Dana. Thanks You're for great, having man. Me. That was fun. Yeah."
0: Yeah, yeah, appreciate sure. you Guys, thanks for listening And uh, check in next week Check out our Patreon Dudes Day yep. Mother's Choice Our sponsors Our website mm-hmm. Thank you We appreciate you We love you, Alaska
2: You'll remember my speaking to you Of what I call Your overcautiousness. Are you not over When you assume That you cannot do What the enemy Is constantly doing
1: Total Truck Accessory Center Go check them out At 7700 Homer Drive They're your one-stop shop For canopies spray-in bed liners, LED light bars, and more.
0: Total truck. The TheTreeHouseAK.com. Located at 341 Boniface Parkway. They're your all-in-one cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bartender today what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off.
2: Lawn Pro AK, your year-round professional property maintenance. Cutting lawns, but not cutting quality. Hit them up at LawnProAK.com.
0: Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58. Handcrafted, Alaskan-made cider. They also got a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E. Check them out, doubleshovelcider.com.
2: Anchortown Dogs, located across from the 4th Avenue Theater in front of the historical building. Look for the blue and gold umbrella. Get yourself a legit reindeer dog
0: tailored restoration helping alaskans restore their dreams voted number one in the state since 1972 water restoration fire restoration remodeling cleaning anything that you have to do with your home inside and outside give those guys a call or check out tailoredrestoration.com